need those in a little while. Um, the peace of our Lord be with you. I'd like to open this morning um, with a verse that has gotten me personally through a lot of adversity in my life, um, especially as a high school student. It's in the book of John, chapter 16, verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. On a daily basis, I feel pretty confident that uh, everyone in this room faces trouble in one form or another. Day-to-day adversities may look like waking up late for school, speaking in front of lots of people, (laughs) forgetting an important assignment, or losing a competition. But when adversity or trouble rocks our world and really challenges our faith, it becomes hard for us to just take heart as the gospel passage from John instructs. How can we have peace when a close friend and teammate is tragically taken from us? How do we take heart when people betray our trust or when it seems like life is unjust or unfair? Maybe taking heart means having courage, but it's hard to be courageous on your own. When life has shaken me, I seem to always find myself back in these pews or with these people who understand this verse and what it looks like to sit down with and stand up for those hurting most, those most troubled. Northminster, to me, has been a place where people can just be real. I'm a child of this church, dedicated, baptized, Bible-schooled, mystery-tripped, and plaid-couched. <laughs> I know and love this place. I can be having the worst week, and I know that if I can just make it through those doors to sit down with these people, I will find some peace. So where and who does this peace come from? It comes from a pastor who may seem calm, pressed, and all together, but I know that his past has made him understand how people feel while facing trouble. I was blessed to be able to sit down and talk about Chuck's life with him as part of a school assignment. Um, His upbringing, his life's real, personal challenges have softened his heart for other people and their individual circumstances. And that looks like a pastor who drove weekly into the most dangerous parts of Washington, D.C. just to deliver little pink and blue Bibles to mothers where there were no visitors and an unpleasant head nurse of a different faith who had to see his example of love in action to appreciate his genuine Christ-like love. This piece comes from a youth pastor who's standing on the 50-yard line of a prayer vigil after the death of one of your closest friends won't leave your side and knows the perfect time 
to look at you in the face and say the realest thing he knows. Man, this is just, for lack of a better word, crappy. <laughs> to some, that may sound crass or not helpful to the situation, but to a 17-year-old kid who felt confused, angry, and devastated, it was nothing short of perfect. This piece comes from having friendships and relationships where there's no judgment, where there's no limit to conversations about what you think or feel about God, school, or life in general. This peace comes from having parents who will wake you up on Sundays, throw you into some clothes, and drive you up here every week. <laughs> parents who never leave your side and are always there to talk when life seems too much to handle. Parents who are examples of faith on a daily basis. Parents whose love is unbreakable. So what do all these people, all of us, have in common? If you ask me, we all share a faith in God in which love has no boundaries. Where we love and accept others as we know Christ did and expects of us. Through times of trouble, I know that courage can be found within these walls and in these relationships. I personally know that I have faced struggles that I could not have overcome without the people in this room. So, that all sounds really good. But we can't all stay here at Northminster. We have to go out there. We have to leave this place for all our other places. I have to go to college. So, I have to figure a way to take this place with me. Maybe not this place, but the things that I've learned here. Things that ring true to me, that sound genuine, not flowery or lofty, but that are authentic. Someone shared an example with me yesterday, written by George Fuller, also known as Stephen's dad. He wrote, Grace is complete, and love is eternal. Mystery and misery do not change those facts. Mystery and misery both sound like trouble to me, but I am taking heart. Grace is complete, and love is eternal, and God through Christ has overcome the world. Thanks be to God. My parents met one of their lifelong friends, still great family friends today, 
and just this great guy who, when he graduated, ended up going to seminary and becoming a pastor. And I was talking, talking to him about what it's like to be a pastor, and he told me this story about the first time he ever gave like an official sermon in front of a congregation. He said he walked up to the pulpit, uh, looked out, as I am doing now, and immediately picked out three guys he had been in fistfights with. <laughs> I am very blessed to say that as I look out now at uh, my church, the closest thing I have come to a fistfight with anyone here was with Dabs and Jeffrey Massey when I told their son Sterling to say hotty toddy. <laughs> But um, this family friend was born in Mississippi, uh, went to college in Mississippi, and gave his first sermon here in Jackson. And that's what it's like a lot like when you come home. Jesus came back home to Nazareth to give his first big sermon as uh, this passage is looked at. And when you come home, it's different. Because when you go off to college or other jobs, people don't know your full past. They don't know every mistake that you've made. They didn't watch you grow up. Like when, when I come home from college next year, everyone will be like, yeah, that's Greg and Lida's boy. And the same thing sort of happened for Jesus. He came home and everyone goes, hey, that's, that's Joseph's son. Yeah, he could have been a carpenter, but instead he's doing miracles. <laughs> because at this time, Jesus was kind of pretty big deal. He had done the water into wine. He had had his baptism and he had his merry band of disciples. But, so all the people at home had been hearing about this awesome guy, Jesus. And so they were ex probably expecting him to like, come bring the goods back home too. That's not what fully happened. If you continue to read the uh, scripture, the gospel today in Luke, you find out that the rest of Jesus' sermon didn't go quite so great. Um, he ended up saying a quote along the lines of, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. And that's probably because these people had these expectations that Jesus was going to come back to the 39211 or whatever the zip code is for Nazareth and, and just fix and make everything right. But in reality, Jesus isn't about fixing every problem with a snap of, of his fingers. He told this story about Elijah. He told the crowd that there was famine, widows, lepers, but Elijah didn't just fix everything. He visited one widow. He cured one leper. Jesus was not really doing what everyone was expected. Oftentimes, expectations and assumptions lead to really big letdowns. When I come home next year, everyone might be thinking, wow, Nate Carraway. He's going to be like such a man and all grown up. In reality, I'll probably honestly just have gained some like weight <laughs> and still be looking for guidance and help. Um, I bet there were a few, um, well actually Jesus' sermon made some people mad when he started talking about Elijah and to the point where they drove him out of the church um, to the edge of town to a cliff and almost tried to push him off. But Jesus did his Jesus thing and just sort of walked through the crowd. And 
I bet when our pastor friend came up here his first day, there were probably a couple guys that wanted to hurl him off Lakeland into the Pearl River as well because they had these expectations and expectations often cause problems. If you expect something to happen, you should probably try to make it happen. Don't wait on Hillary or Donald to fix it because they're not. I think that's what the gospel's trying to say. Maybe we should not sit in what we think or expect Christianity should be like. Like how those folks thought Jesus was going to be like Captain Israel. Maybe we should sit in his words a lot more. To proclaim the good news to the poor. To proclaim the freedom for the prisoners. To recover sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. We get to follow this amazing example of how we should live to be kind, to share hope with others, to be generous with all that we have, to reach out to all people to let them know that they have value and matter. That's what the poor wants to hear, that God is there for them. We need to help show the light to not just the blind, but the spiritually blind. If we can learn to live just a little bit in the way that Jesus tried to show us, we'll be doing something right. Because I believe that's what Jesus was trying to show the folks back home.